Sometimes it takes a different approach to help you unlock your true potential. Capella University's game-changing FlexPath format helps you learn at your own pace and fit earning a degree into your life. From before you enroll to after you graduate, you'll be supported by people who are invested in your success so you can pursue your goals knowing that help is available if you need it. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu. Welcome to the Canva guided meditation for stress at work. Impending deadline? Generate Canva presentations in seconds. So fast. Brainstorm got too big? Summarize with AI in a click. Click, click, click. Writer's block? Release with Canva Magic Write. Magical. Stress less and save time at canva.com. Designed for work. This isn't your average business podcast, and he's not your average host. This is the James Altucher Show on the Choose Yourself Network. Today on the James Altucher Show. Thank God, because I told you don't ask me stupid questions, and you are asking me questions that I've never really thought about. If you're in a cubicle today and you're looking at Damon John, understand that Damon John is looking at Richard Branson, and Richard Branson is looking at Bill Gates. So there's always somebody else to look at as inspiration, but no matter what, you just have to learn from it and keep moving forward, you know what I mean? And you can't try to be like somebody else. You can't be a me too. If it's going to be desperation mode, it has to be desperation mode of if nobody else is going to do it, then I'm going to do it. That's the only desperation mode it should be. It shouldn't be desperation mode like I need to be like you. It needs to be desperation mode of nobody else is doing this thing, then I'm going to do it. So, Damon, Damon, John, I'm psyched to have you on the podcast for a second time. Welcome am, to the show. Thank you. I'm excited to be here. You know, the the first time that we got together on uh, The Power Broke, it was absolutely amazing. I got a lot of feedback. I didn't know you had so many listeners. I didn't know I had so many listeners either <laughs> until I had you on the show. My mother wouldn't read the book until she heard uh, the podcast with you. You're kidding. Well, say yes, hi to I your am. mom. <laughs> thank you. I will. So, so I want to talk more about The Power Broke, but also I want to talk about your new company that you're starting, uh, Blueprint Plus Co. Yeah. Uh, this is kind of like a WeWork, right? It's kind of it like a, a co-working space for executives. Absolutely. I think I'm going to get myself an office there, actually. I'm not even kidding. All right. You're more than welcome. You're not paying me to promote that, by the way. I I'm, am not. But I, I looked not. at the site and it looks good. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, um, I decided to come up with this concept after so many years. Well, I was already developing the concept because, uh, you know, after all the companies I had on Shark Tank, the ones in New York were, were saying, can I come by your office? Can I come to my office? Before I know it, they were sleeping on my couch, right? And then guys like you and I, we we speak to so many corporations over the course of a year, and every one of them are talking about innovation. They can't get good talent, and then we talk to them, they go off, and they don't do anything about it, right? Why? Well, like, I, you, you know what? These people are smart. They've been funded. They they yeah. present themselves. How come they can't find people to work with them? Well, you know what? I'm talking about more the big ones who all say, come and talk to my, uh, you know, my C-level staff about innovation. When their C-level staff is, you know, 40, 50, 60, they want their two weeks vacation. They sit in their corner office. They don't talk to anybody. They don't want to learn about social media conversion. They don't want to learn about podcasts. They don't want to learn about anything else. They're doing things their own way. And they're going to be dinosaurs. But then I find there are some companies and corporations who say, you know what? I want to put 10 people over... What 
whether it's my company or whether it's my version of Blueprint Co. or 1871 Chicago and they go, you can't get good talent out in the suburbs. You can't get, you know, those uh, those kids with the funny looking mustaches and the tight uh, the tight jeans riding on skateboards who are programming. I could imagine. Yeah. <laughs> you can't get them to go to traditional corporations because they care now about culture. They care about experience. They care about working with like-minded people and you cannot get them there anymore. So now I'm finding that... Um, the people that are coming to the space are like Lisa Mattresses, the ones who are now uh, changing the way that you get mattresses and now they're delivered to the home or Shopify or Ashley Stewart or um, a lot of different uh, like-minded people, executives like us are coming to the space because they don't have a place for innovation. Well, let me take this, let me roll this back because this might be related to what's going on in the economy. Like, let's say, I mean, do you sort of see that the big corporations kind of shrinking in favor of everybody wants to do their own thing now. Everybody's kind of starting a company or, or going to the gig economy or going freelance or going yeah. part-time. Like what's, what are you seeing from, from up high that's happening kind of lower? I, I am seeing that. I'm seeing that either up high companies are either acquiring new and faster companies. You know, some of the stats are the 40% of the workforce will be freelance uh, or, or solopreneurs by 2020. Sure. Um, some of the other stats are 50% of the kids graduating today will end up retiring with a job title that doesn't actually exist today. Wait, I mean, are you reading my blog? I think you're reading I, my blog to get I, these statistics. I am, I am, I am. I am. But, but think Good. about it. Like, you know, the the it's challenging. You know, uh, I was out at CES and one of the major car companies were saying the biggest challenge they have is for the autonomous cars, they don't have enough technicians because the kids don't realize coming out of school today, uh, you know, being a, you know, being a, a mechanic is not like when we were looking at Sanford and Son and the guy with the big grease all over him is somebody plugging in and, and programming and they can't get enough uh, jobs. I I spoke to the 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 corporation who handles all the operators of heavy machinery, they said their job uh, filings, they're, they're open for 15 months before somebody fills it because these kids don't realize they can make $200,000 come out of school operating or being a technician for heavy machinery. Uh, everybody's, uh, you know, they're, they're thinking of the old days and that's antiquated. It's old. It's over. Well, let you know, I want to relate this back to, to your start. Like you started out and I sort of see... It's a, it's a very classic story in the sense that you combined these two passions you had, which were music and clothes. Like when yeah. you first started knitting hats and going on the corner and selling right, them, right, it wasn't right. the first time you were knitting. You were sewing since you were a I kid. Was, I, I was sewing to kind of alter my clothes to kind of be, uh, you know, uh, you know, hip hop, right? I was trying to, you know, buy a pair of jeans and make them more hip hop ish. Yeah, and you and you um, obviously, I didn't know this actually uh, until recently. I should have researched it the last time, but you were even like a break dancer. You were going to yes. break dance for Houdini. Yeah, yeah. I was. So I was a, I was a, I was a popper. You know, as somebody would say, you know, kind of the guy who stood up. I didn't spin on the ground, and I, um, I was break dancing, and uh, I actually had a chance to go on tour and be one of the dancers for Houdini. And my mother said. Hell no, keep your ass in school. And they ended up picking a kid named uh, Jermaine Dupree to right. end up dancing for them. Yeah. Who, was that, who ended up being huge well, in his own way. Was, yeah. So, But you ended up, of course, being huge in your way, which is, again, I always feel that combining interests, if you're, you probably weren't the best 
seamstress in the world. I was horrible. And you probably weren't the best hip-hop guy in the world. But combining the interests made you the best in the world at clothes for hip-hop. You were the guy. Absolutely. And and that was almost like, I don't want to say a shortcut because obviously there was a lot of pain and and strain along the way. But it is a good way to kind of... um, skip a lot of steps to success. And I, I think to enhance what you're saying is that I didn't realize that both of those things could be married together because you have to understand when I decided to <clears throat> um, start doing clothes at that time in my neighborhood, most of my friends were drug dealers and I did not want to sell drugs and I didn't want to be part of that. So whenever they were going on a run to go pick up drugs or something, and I was in the car, I would say, all right, guys, well, let me out of the car. Now, Fast forward, they start seeing me in the corner selling hats. Laughing at me is an understatement because at that time to be in fashion, you know, the concept of being in fashion was usually it was, you know, gay guys who were designing. So, and, you know, I have no issue with anybody's sexual preference, but I wasn't gay. But they would, they stopped talking to me and called me gay and they thought that I was just the gay guy on the corner <laughs> selling hats, right? So I was really like, kind of like, uh, you know, it wasn't cool, but I was doing something that I love so much and it was so fulfilling to me, forget even making money that I couldn't care less about what they thought at that time. And I lost most of them as friends, but they ended up going to jail anyway. So <laughs> they're gone. <laughs> yeah. They don't gone. either. They're going, well, no, no. Well, you know what? Who gives people cell phones in jails? Because they write me texts. I swear to you, these texts are like love and peace or peace mm-hmm. and war, whatever they get, love and war. Anyway, that's another story. They have a lot of time on their hands now. So, so, so you're out there on the mm. corner. You're, you're, you're selling these clothes, and I so also see a lot in your career about not taking risks but mitigating risks. Yes. So while you were doing this on the corner and you were starting to make good money, but you were also working at Red Lobster. Sure. You were at Red Lobster for years. And that was another mm-hmm. way you kind of dealt with embarrassment is that your friends from school would be showing up and you would be busting their tables. Yeah, yeah, because you know what? Um, I was the, the the kid who was too smart for his own good and said that I'm going to take a year off from college. And that year became three years, four years, five years. I was working at Red Lobster and all these other kids that I thought were dumb were coming back from college. And at that time, I believed, like many kids today, that you go to college, you automatically are guaranteed a job and a, a great life, right? So now I'm going, I'm an idiot. Um, I'm working at Red Lobster. I'm trying to make hats. So now, you know, one of my one group of friends are calling me, you know, gay, and the other ones are <laughs> saying I'm an idiot and you're busting tables. And it was it was it was not a fulfilling, uh, you know, life when I thought about it from the outside. But internally, I just felt that I was good. I felt that one on on in one sense, I wasn't looking over my back like these friends of mine who are drug dealers for the cops and other other sure. other dealers, right? On another sense, I'm paying my bills. And I'm doing something I love, which are selling hats. Now, a lot of people, when they go into business at first, they hear this whole burn all bridges, go balls to the wall, all that crap. No, keep your day job. I worked at Red Lobster for six years while I operated FUBU. And that was important to me. It gave me medical and, and insurance. It also kept my lights on. And I was able to keep funding the company and take affordable steps. I was mitigating my risk. Well, and then the other thing is, is that when you finally, you know, at one point, it's kind of this famous story where you, you, you know, your mom mortgaged the house to get you your $100,000 so you could buy fabrics and, and labor and so on. But 
what most people don't realize you had a $400,000 order to fulfill. Like you had a baked in order from a big company. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I went to the, the trade show of our industry magic, the magic show. And I came back with about the $400,000 in orders. And I went to all the banks and I couldn't get any funding because honestly, I didn't have any financial intelligence. So I didn't know how to really fill out a loan application, give them any projections, whatever the case is. And my mother went out and mortgaged a house for $100,000. Now, I don't know how because the house was worth seventy five. Till today, I still don't ask her what she did for the rest of the money. But um, the reason she did that is because I had up to $400,000 in orders. Now, everybody goes, oh, your mother, you know, she, she, she took a risk on you. She did. But don't get me wrong. Just like we said, everybody else, sales cures all. I had $400,000 in orders. So she said, if we mortgage this, you go make the clothes and put the money back in the house. She wouldn't have gave me crap. She didn't give me anything prior to that. And this was, this was honestly, this was seven years or six years into the first day that I had uh, uh, sold the hat. And then, and then the final way I feel kind of like you took uh, care of risk, or at least part of the risk, was you had the, the, the network you built. You had LL Cool J yeah. wearing your hat. Yeah, you know, we had LL Cool J wearing my hat. He was a huge star at the time, but prior to getting LL Cool J, and you cool didn't J, know him that well. Like he no. grew up in the neighborhood. He grew up in the neighborhood. We didn't know him that well. Um, but a lot of people grew up in the neighborhood. Run DMC, Salt and Pepper. Everybody says there's something in the water in in Queens, right? But prior to getting to LL Cool J, I had all the local cool kids in the neighborhood wearing the hat. So it wasn't just a cold call. It was kind of like. 10 calls until I got to him and then it was like, hey man, you see all the guys that you like in the neighborhood that are cool guys wearing it, why don't you give me a shot? Um, so I kind of like had baked the community prior to making that approach to, towards him. So, so, so building the network, building the community, taking care of risk, combining interests, and there's a certain kind of, I don't want to say arrogance because it's the wrong word and you're not an arrogant guy, but you're up against Adidas, you're up against, yeah. you know, all these clothing companies, you're up against companies that were starting to get into the space like Troop and so on. Yeah. How did you think, do you think that's the quality of only a young person that you can think you can take on the world? Like, how do you, you know, now we're seeing more and more people mm -hmm. who are, let's say our age, who are trying to say, oh, I've got to start from scratch now or I've got to start something new. How do you kind of develop that confidence? You know, I think that it's um, it's a passion that you're going forward with and you keep, you're so strong about it. Now, <clears throat> you may say that, you know, I had this arrogance to take that on, but in return, I go, well, why didn't FUBU end up becoming Nike, Ralph Lauren, Louis Vuitton? I should have went further, mm -hmm. right? Um, and I remember seeing um, Mark Zuckerberg do an interview and he was doing it with the president of the United States, Obama. And he had said that as he was creating it, he kept going, somebody else is going to build this big machine, but nobody built it. And he kept building and he kept building. So as I kept going forward and I saw the direction that I felt the company needed to go and more importantly, I saw what consumers needed, I kept going, somebody else is going to do this. Somebody else is going to do this. But it didn't stop me. I was just anticipating that more people were going to do it and nobody else did it. And I just kept going and kept going and kept going. And it was something that I was so passionate about. I would have done this for free if I could have because I love seeing people wear my clothes. There was something about waking up in the morning, walking down the block and seeing somebody wear, wear your shirt and go, when I was designing it, I was thinking about that person to wear it just like that. And they purchased it because 
it made them feel better about themselves or they they felt like they accomplished something or they felt like they arrived. And it was just this twinkle in my eye that made me want to keep doing it. So I, I didn't care about the other uh, competitors because I always considered them being huge and I was just like a flea on their butt, you know what I mean? And I just kept building it and it just kept growing. I think also there's this kind of, you had this sort of empowering vision that was like an umbrella over the company, you know, uh, for us, by us, you know, that's what yeah. FUBU stands for. Sure. And kind of this uh, empowering in the African-American community and the hip-hop community. And I think that allowed you to sort of put your foot forward and say, this is why you shouldn't buy those other guys. This, this is a nut. Not only are you going to look good, but it's empowering for us. Yeah, you know, and and often it was very, you know, a lot of people, you know, thought FUBU was purely for one color or one demographic of, uh, you know, a per, you know, people. And it wasn't actually because, you know, when I initially started FUBU, it was because, uh, you know, we had heard comments from designers and especially Timberland at that time. They're not owned by the same people. Um they said that we don't make our boots for drug dealers. And they looked at, at, at this community of hip hop people as one, um, as African-American. And it wasn't because at that time, you know, some of my favorite rappers were not of uh, African-American descent. They were third base or, you know, some of those. Third other. base was great. Third base was amazing, right? And um, at third base, Beastie Boys or whoever it was. So I had made for us bias about a culture who's going to just love the rap culture and really love them so it is powered by a music that was created by african-americans but by far i was never going to be prejudiced like the timberlands of the world and the first places i i love saying that bought my product when i started to advertise it was seattle washington it was the the grunge skateboarders uh, mm. you know in seattle washington and it was actually japan uh, uh, they were starting to buy my clothes first because they just loved hip-hop so much. Um, but then this For Us Bias concept came out. I didn't care what color you are as long as you just loved hip-hop like I loved hip-hop. And, and that's I, what it was. I think the hip-hop culture, though, uh, kind of you know extended out into the suburbs because everybody thought, okay, I don't want to be boring suburban. I want to be hip. Yeah. You know, and that's why, like I used to do back in the nineties, I used to do some work with Steve Rifkin. He had SRC his, his uh street teams. He he would get like shipments of Pepsi and then hand them out in Harlem. And you know, to I get think that Pepsi uh, popular. Our, our boy Gary V said it best. He said that, you know, hip hop was one of the things that knocked down a lot of racial barriers in the, uh, you know, in the world and made, you know, white kids want to be black and black kids didn't mind being white and black kids didn't mind looking at Eminem and say, wow, <laughs> these white boys are crazy too. And, and white boys didn't mind being Dr. Dre and Snoop and stuff like that. And I think that it, it, it brought us a lot of people together and respected other cultures. Uh, so absolutely, it brought it out to the suburbs and around the globe. I'm just curious, like, and this is kind of often a tangent, but what musical kind of direction do you think has happened since hip hop that has made any cultural statement at all whatsoever? Because I don't know of any. I don't know <laughs> any. I mean, EDM is just, you know, Molly jumping around, right? Um, and, and then pop it, is so sugary. Yeah, now. It, it doesn't, it doesn't, it doesn't address any issues of, uh, you know, what's going on, whether it's love or hate or police violence or politics. You know, it's funny when, when President Bush says one of his worst, uh, worst times of his life was when Kanye said Bush hates black people, right? But whatever it was, you know, I think hip hop has been, it's always been the voice of the streets, no matter what. And the, the you know, and, and the streets are, are very pure in their, in their, in the way they, uh, they vocalize what's going on. 
And so, so it seems like, and this is going to lead to your latest venture blueprint, but what you're doing, um, you, you take FUBU and then you go on Shark Tank. And then obviously when, when Shark Tank's on, I often pause it in, in front of my kids. I have two daughters and I say, okay, which shark should go for this company? And right. if it's a clothing company, they say, they Damon. say me. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it, but but I'm the one who doesn't. I don't want clothing company. So, I want to. I want to. I want to. You know, diversify my portfolio. But they. But they get uh -huh, the sense, yeah. and I think everybody gets the sense that look, if you take a pair of socks, you could start making it, and it, it. You could piggyback on the resources you already sure, have. Absolutely. In the in, in in not in terms of just production, but in terms of distribution. And yes. do you find that that happens? Yeah, you know it does. Um, and your daughters are absolutely right at, in one sense, but you know another sense is sometimes you know you know we gotta we we have to really be comfortable. With who we are as business people and what uh, makes us gets us excited. And I saw Richard Branson speaking one time, and he said once he sold Virgin Records and then went on to Virgin Airlines, and now he has three hundred companies. You know, his the type of entrepreneur he is is he loves to open up a new company, add the fundamentals to it, but see how it blossoms in a new way and apply himself in a new way. You know, with apparel companies, the reason why I actually I actually turned down Shark Tank twice uh, to be on it because I said I'm going to spend my own money. What are you crazy? You know, like Mark Burnett is the real shark. I was like, he's going to have me pay for everything. But then it was 08. Nobody was buying more shirts because they couldn't pay their mortgage. Right, the last thing they were buying was a shirt. I had twelve clothing companies. Ten of them were dead, and mm -hmm. I said to myself, "Is my strength clothing companies, or is it marketing, branding, and distribution?" So when I go to a Macy's, instead of just selling them shirts and on want to be on floor two, I can sell them lotion, electronics, furniture, whatever the case is. Let me acquire more companies for my portfolio, so I could take up more real estate in the brands and the companies that I that I know. The Macy's, the J.C. Penney's of the world. So I actually go on there and I look for other than clothing companies. So like what's an example of, of some other thing that you've been able to provide your branding expertise and get into Macy's? Um, well, necess not necessarily Macy's. Let me think about it. But, you know, I said that because of my years in Red Lobster, when I saw, uh, you know, how food was being lost or wasted, whatever the case is, I never want to deal with perishables. So if you ever watch the first three years of Shark Tank, I will not buy anything that you can consume, nothing that you can eat. Hmm. Now, my top companies, beef jerky and Bubba's boneless ribs. Right. Um, because I was able to now go in there. Uh, I love what they were and who they were, you know, the, the, the proprietors or the owners of it. And now those are the biggest companies in my portfolio. And those are things that I was staying away from. But going back to now clothing. I decided to do a deal with a company called Bombas, Bombas Socks. And now I have a warehouse full of FUBU socks. Socks are the hardest things to sell because, first of all, if you're wearing them, I don't know who, what brand they are. Right. So it's not like a big off. logo on yeah. them, right? They're in buckets and barrels over at uh, Burlington Coat Factory, right? And, you know, actually, you know, you, you, it's very hard to sell them. But these guys, just like why we're talking about Blueprint & Co., they were selling socks but they weren't selling them traditional retail stores. They were selling them direct to the customer. I didn't know there's a whole world of people who collect socks, and they're going to do, when they first went on Shark Tank, about a million dollars, 
They're going to do about $20 million this year purely in socks because of two things. Number one, the socks are amazing. They have no seam in the front, so your toe doesn't get jammed up. I'm never, I didn't even know what kind of machine I've, can make I've got to buy them then because yeah. I always, I, this morning I jam my toe on them. Exactly. And number two is they, they, they donate a pair to the homeless shelter because the homeless, they're, one of their biggest challenges are the care for their feet. But I started to learn that I can't sell the crap of socks that I have in a warehouse in Secaucus now, but these guys are selling it in a whole new way. So I started to educate myself on new ways to do business. So uh, to sum that up, it was I didn't invest in traditional companies, apparel companies, but when I did, they had to have a different angle to them. So they had a different angle where you learn, but again, how did you provide, even with the food companies, how were you able to provide your kind of branding and marketing expertise to, to get them going, give them a kickstart they didn't have well, before. Well, because, because no matter what, there's always going to be the blueprint like, uh, like um, you know, um, uh, Richard Branson said, there's always the fundamentals of business. So there's always the key about your numbers, your distribution, your pipeline, your access to information and access to customers and how do you get this information out there. So What does uh, it mean, access to information? Yeah. So... When you look at when you look at any kind of company, you're going to look at your numbers. So, what are your margins? What is your cost directly B two B, and what is your cost B two C? What's your acquisition cost? You know, in regards to is it two dollars a customer, five dollars a customer, seventeen dollars a customer? What's your return rate? Right? Yeah. How are you going to upsell a customer? There's only three ways to deal with a customer ever. There is acquire a new one, upsell a current one, or make one buy more frequently. How do you upsell in a stock company? Well, upsell a, well, you, well, you upsell a sock company, you, you ask them to buy the underwear and then the hats afterwards, mm-hmm. knit, knit product, or you ask them to buy a three-pack instead of a one-pack, or you get them to be a member where they get, you know, six pair of socks every month in their, uh, you know, in the mail, uh, mm-hmm. something like that. Or you get them to buy a new color, or you get them to go instead of you, instead of buying athletic wear, you also get them to buy dress socks at the same time. So there's various ways to upsell any current customer. Um, buying more frequently means, you know, you try to do more sales or you try to have them buy one, get one free or give one to a family member or something like that. You don't want them to have sales fatigue. So you don't want to always discount and or uh, put your stuff on sale. So you have to find ways to upsell customers no matter what. For, for marketing, I feel like TV ads don't work anymore. Like, why? Well, I would never buy anything I saw on a TV ad. But yeah. I, if, if I am exposed to something over and over again on the internet, I might take a look and it's one click away buying. Yeah, you know, TV ads are challenging. Um, I think that they do serve a purpose um, if you are smart about it. But you know what? You know, the advertising platform is changing so much now because they're, we're getting so uh, we're getting inundated with so many pieces of information. But you look at things like direct mail is still very, very strong. Really? Yeah, because you look at this. You know, um, many years ago, we used to open our mailbox and we had all this crap of direct mail. Now... It's all in our emails. Mm-hmm. So now you have two pieces of direct mail that you probably spend more time looking at than that little blast that came across your screen mm-hmm. where you just clicked off. Uh, billboards are stronger now than ever because, you know, that thing is not moving. You can't click it. It's not going away. You're watching it. So the way, you know, as many things change, uh, some stay the same, right? So, you know, advertising always changes no matter what. So, so you know, again, as you go in, you, you fund a company you go in, you see, you think they have a good product, a good management team, whatever. What do you see as kind of the fundamental mistakes you usually find yourself fixing again and again in these companies that start up? It's always the power broke. Mm-hmm. It's always that, you know, 
they think that more money, unless they're super good at their analytics, and then I become the student instead of the teacher, um, they think that more money is going to solve their problem, and they end up getting into a whether inventory situation or whether they go out and they say, "I'm going to market more, market more, market more." If you can't see that, you know, if, if, if it's clear, if you're spending seventeen percent, you're 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 dealing directly to the consumer, and you have, uh, you know, a full markup on your product. Seventeen percent is good, but if you end up not, you know, so I'll give you an example. So, uh, you know, you're you're spending seventeen dollars, and you're getting a hundred dollars worth of sales. That's good because if you're making the product for fifty and you're selling it for a hundred. Or no, two hundred actually. If if you're doing it direct to customer, then that's great, right? But if you end up spending sixty dollars and you only bring in a hundred, then something's broken. The product is not good. The margin is not good. The customer doesn't like it. Something's going on. And the customers that go over the twenty or twenty five percent when they sell directly to the uh, to to the 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 brands that go over that mark of twenty percent, twenty five percent, they sell them directly to the customer. At that point. Don't go and spend more money. You have to fix something there to reduce either the cost of uh, customer acquisition or the cost of your product or you know, or anything else. But I see a lot of companies that go out there and say, well, we need a million dollars in inventory because Christmas is coming and we need to have that on, on site and we be, we'll be able to sell that day. Or we need to buy a million dollars in advertising. We need to get more people. If you have crap, then a million dollars worth of advertising is just a million dollars of advertising crap. So I see that the biggest challenge they all have is uh, spending too much money that they don't have. Uh, you know, I see you bring up a really good point that advertising is almost, I always call it the second best strategy. The first best strategy is word of mouth. Yeah. So if, I, if, I, if you're going to sell something to a person and you know they're going to recommend it to their friends, then you have a good product. If they're not going to recommend it to their friends, then the advertising is just going to buy you one-time customers and that's it. You're absolutely, you're 100% right. It is build a community no matter what. It's the same as I always tell people when they have a product, don't give it away to your family and friends and then think you have a great brand because if you give a a, 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 a nasty product out to 10 family and friends, you know what? Your grandmother's going to come back and say, oh my God, everybody at work really loved this crappy shirt. You should make more of these. But you go and sell it. Like find a community that wants to buy it because, you know, the good thing about FUBU was this. I used to stand on the corner of uh, 165th Street and Jamaica Avenue, or I stood in the corner of the Apollo and tried to sell my hats. Here's the best thing about trying to sell your hats in the middle of Harlem at midnight on the corner of Apollo uh, Theater. People not only told me what they thought about my hats, but they told me what they thought about my mother and everybody else. So you got a real, real response by people who have to come out of their pocket with their hard-earned money and buy it because they like it or not. And that's it. But, you know, you you tell me that story and it sounds great and almost like romantic like I it's was, not romantic I, I know but but it sounds that way and so let's say i'm i'm listening to this and i hate my job and i'm thinking boy well he did that when he was 22 years old and it was the beginning of something hip-hop and and clothes yeah, for yeah. hip-hop what what can i do now what how can i get started how can i start thinking like that well first of all you know if you're thinking like that just to go make money, then you're probably thinking about the wrong thing. You know, where is the passion and what do you do for free? Because it took me a long time to realize that fashion and music could be a combination of something that I loved. I didn't start FUBU until I was in my 20s, which is, of course, that's young. But I loved fashion and 
music at the same time ever since I was 10 years old, and I didn't realize I could put it together. Now, yes, I came around at a certain time, but how many people today, whether it's, how many people know DJ Khaled now? He built a community. He didn't go out and say, he didn't He didn't say 10 years ago, this thing called Snapchat's going to be, uh, you know, created and I'm going to make the stupidest videos ever and I'm going to build this community. But he built a very strong community for whatever reason. So people have to understand they have to build a community and it's being done every single day. If you look on social media, there are people that you follow that you would have never known before they built a community, whether they're a chef, whether they're uh, a, a a trainer, whether they're somebody who tells funny jokes, you have to build a community no matter what. And I built a community of like-minded people who love this emerging music and love the fashion that came along with it. So, so what do you think are the, so, so take a passion and take a skill for building community. And that's going to be to some extent, a recipe for some success. And what do you, what would you say are the top skills for building community? No matter what you're interested in, let's say I'm interested in, I don't know, I don't know. I have to think Whatever. about that, you know, and thank God because I told you don't ask me stupid questions <laughs> and you are asking me questions that I've never really thought about. What is the skill for building a community? Because you were great at it, right? Because you built it, yeah. like you said, you had the cool kids in Hollis wearing the shirts before yeah. you even approached LL Cool J and then that propelled yeah. further community. Uh, you know, the, the building a community is that you have a very, very pointed uh, 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 idea or uh, view of something and you don't waver off of it and you find other people that have that strong pointed view about it that are passionate about it. I mean, we just went through an election and that the person who was a president now found people with a very, very strong point of view about things. And I think that that is the thing when building a community. Also, when building a community, not only are you the one preaching, but you're the one following. You know, you're the person who not you're, now you have this strong point of view and the other people have this strong point of view. You're not talking at them. You're talking with them. So you're following them back and you are kind of echoing what they're saying. So they feel like you care about them. The, the, the most important thing when dealing with any people is that they want to feel important too. They want to feel valued. So you feel like you value that point of view that they're coming with and you're echoing it. And I think that is the, that is the biggest thing about finding a community is being very, very strong about what you think, being laser focused on how you communicate it and following other people that feel the same way and then echoing what they're saying. And it becomes this kind of like, it starts to manifest and starts to grow and people start to follow. Let's stop to take a quick break. We'll be right back. Yes, it's totally true. Airbnb has changed my life. If anything, they have made my life so much better. Like I used to live in Airbnbs. I, I lived in over 100 or 200 different Airbnbs over a three-year period, and I loved it. I, loved, I became a really good guest of Airbnbs, and I got to know lots of hosts. So when I initially owned a house, I, of course, the first thing I thought was, I'm going to turn my house into an Airbnb because I travel a lot. So why leave my house unused when I can make a side income by letting others Airbnb my house or come to stay in my house as guests? And having my own Airbnb or, or being a host for Airbnb has allowed me to do just that. 
And I've met other hosts. I've actually spoken at Airbnb's host conference. I think it was in 2017. I met so many just nice hosts. It's a great community. And I love, you know, turning my own home into an Airbnb. Like I'm traveling to Austin next month. My home's going to be an Airbnb while I'm away and I'll stay in an Airbnb. I'd rather stay in like a three-story house Airbnb than in one tiny hotel room in, in the middle of Austin during South by Southwest. So listen, while you're away, your home could be an Airbnb. Many people host on Airbnb, but there are people who are just letting their house sit empty who've never thought about it or didn't realize their space could be an Airbnb. Hosting can easily fit into your lifestyle and is a great way to earn some extra money. So if you have a home, but you're not always at home, then you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Daylight savings time is starting up again. Okay, podcast is over. That's all you needed to know. But why do we have uh, daylight savings time? Answer, to give us more daylight from March through November. By setting your clocks forward, it may feel like there are more hours in the day that initial, when we initially start daylight savings. But if you're hiring, it doesn't necessarily help you find qualified candidates for your roles any sooner. There's only one way to do that, ZipRecruiter. And right now you can try it for free at ZipRecruiter.com slash James. ZipRecruiter works around the clock to find qualified candidates for you. Once you post your job on ZipRecruiter, they send it to 100-plus job sites so you reach more of the right people. This is such a brilliant idea for a business, and ZipRecruiter did it. So ZipRecruiter's smart technology also quickly scans thousands of resumes to identify people whose skills and experience match your job. I've used ZipRecruiter particularly as a potential employee, and I still, to this day, get messages every day. James Aldacher, would you like to apply to be... VP of entertainment at NBC or whatever. So there's just nonstop emails. Like I got five or six emails today because of, because a year ago I signed up for ZipRecruiter. So spring forward with a new hiring partner, ZipRecruiter, and find top talent sooner. See why four out of five employers who post on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate within the first day. Just go to this exclusive web address to try ZipRecruiter for free. ZipRecruiter.com slash James. Once again, that's ZipRecruiter.com slash James. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. Hey, listen, men's health is important. Men act all cocky and like they don't need anything. But the reality is, as you get older, there's some things you need. And it often feels like we're too busy to take care of our health problems. Like I'd rather do anything then go to the doctor or the dentist or the pharmacy or whatever. But now you don't have to waste your time if you use HIMS. HIMS, H-I-M-S, HIMS is changing men's healthcare by providing simple and convenient access to science-backed treatments for erectile dysfunction, hair loss, weight loss, and more. The entire process is 100% online, so you get a new routine of improving your overall health faster. Jay, you listening to all this? Yes, I definitely gonna use him for now. Not on. that you need it. You're you're young and healthy, James. I'm thirty five. You, you're getting there. You might you might need it. Who knows? But if prescribed, your medication ships directly to you for free and indiscreet packaging. No 
insurance is needed. You can manage your plan on the Hims app, track progress, and learn more about your conditions and how to treat them from leading medical experts. Start your free online visit today at hymns.com slash James. Could you imagine that there's a whole section just with my name on it? Hymns.com slash James. That's how I how much I am representative of the kind of person who needs hymns. That's HIMS.com slash James for your personalized treatment options. Hymns.com slash James. Prescriptions require an online consultation with a healthcare provider who will determine if appropriate. Restrictions apply. See hymns.com slash James for details and important safety information. Subscription required. Price varies based on product and subscription plan. I mean, now we have all these new tools, like you mentioned Snapchat with DJ Khaled. And we also, you also mentioned Gary Vaynerchuk, who that guy does videos. I feel like he does videos 24 hours a day. He does. And I don't know when he sleeps. He's looking <laughs> at his phone on every Instagram photo. You yeah. know, he's constantly hustling. And so it seems like you have to show the community also that you're in it even more than they are. Like they have yeah. to kind of join you a hundred percent so so Khaled is in on the joke right he he makes fun of himself he's in on the joke so he you know and and he he elaborates on it Gary you know you know that he has this strong strong passion about empowering people and as bad as his little potty mouth is he will say it with conviction and he won't vary off of that he'll go to a corporation and say if you don't like the way I'm cursing don't don't have me come here you know it's like you you know when I was um you know uh, hoping that you would have me on the podcast we were talking and my colleague and I uh we were saying that you ask the most basic 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 questions because you dumb it down so that even though you've met so many people you bring it to a level where you're learning with them and you go, I'm not going to try to overthink this thing. Let's get down to the pure basics and the fundamentals. So people, I think that listen to your podcast always go, we're always going to bring it back to the fundamentals. We're not going to talk about it at a high level. We could get to that, but we're going to bring it back to the fundamentals. So I think that when you care about something, it's always going to shine through. You know, like when I on Shark Tank, I care about people. I don't care how, you know, and don't get me wrong. I think just like Mr. Wonderful thinks, sometimes that's how we think. Like, you know, you need to get the hell out of here. But my mother taught me that I need to treat people with respect. So no matter how we think about the product and say we're out, I do it in a very respectful way because I never want to be treated bad like that, right? So I think that it is purely about staying tried and true uh, to who you are and, and your community will find you in return. Well, it also seems like you use this word a couple of times and... Uh, I had on a few days ago uh, Sarah Blakely, who of course started Spanx, uh -huh. and you know part of her kind of bigger purpose was empowering women to feel better about themselves. Sure. And you use the word empower several times. You use it about Gary Vee empowers young people to be entrepreneurs. You were empowering kind of the hip hop culture and community. How it seems like really important when you're starting something, when you have something that you're passionate about to figure out how to elevate it one more level so you can empower other people to yep. feel passionate about it. Absolutely. And, and you know, a lot of people just don't have hope or they don't feel like other people uh, bond with them. And, and you know, let's go back to when I was saying that, uh, you know, my friends weren't looking at me in the greatest light. They stopped talking to me, but it didn't matter because every person that I sold a hat or a shirt to, they empowered me. They mm -hmm. made me feel like you did the right thing. 
Thank you. Nobody's done this before. I feel good about myself. So every time I would hear a negative about what I was doing, I would hear a positive about what I was doing. And I then felt in return to empower them because I was like, wow, you believed in me. Thank you. I'm, I'm making this for you, for me, for us. And you believe in me. And then when I found 10 people like that, 20, 100 people like that, 1,000, a million people like that, I knew that I wasn't wrong for what I believed in. And there was somebody else out there who who felt the same passion about this music, about these clothes that I did. And that's exactly what happens when, you know, any of my companies, when it's Bomber Socks, when they when they go to the, the, the veterans shelter and they give away these socks and they feel empowered about it, you almost never hear when somebody's out there and they have a company. You almost never really hear them pitching the company. They pitch the cause and they and you can see why they're doing it because they're usually talking about what it does for others, why they did it and why it makes others feel good. You never hear them go, you need to buy this sock because it has uh, Egyptian cotton. They talk about everything else besides the product usually. You know, I don't know. Uh, you know, Steve Jobs when he talked, he he talked about you know thinking different. He talked about you know that he didn't talk about how many gigabytes was in a computer. He talked about how it made people feel and how they can think differently and how they can be themselves and how they can be creative and the tools that he was going to give people to allow them to be creative. He didn't say this has more gigabytes or whatever it is, megabytes, whatever the hell it is in computers. You know. So, so, so while you were building up and you were feeling good, you were start the the the, the word was getting out, the clothing was was getting out. You had to have bumps along the road. Like, what were the Many. times when? Even after everybody else thought you were a success, where you were like, "Oh my God, I'm a fraud, and I'm gonna oh. get, I'm gonna go totally broke, and no one's gonna know, and it's gonna be super embarrassing." Oh, see, this is this is you know what the these are the this is why people listen to you so much because I don't think that has been asked before, and it goes back to the fundamentals is is what I'm saying. We don't talk on a high level here. We're talking about the fears that many people have because. Somebody said the other day that, you know, we all compare our blooper reel to everybody's sizzle reel. And my blooper reel was playing That's for many, quote. many years, right? Yeah. yeah. And, um, you know, it was when I had 10 shirts and they were all in videos and I didn't have, I was sleeping, uh, you know, on my couch and I, you know, I was working at Red Lobster. Or it was when I had $300,000 in orders and I said to myself, I'm never going to be able to produce this. Why did I ever even go out and get the orders? So that was back, that was like over 20 years ago now. Yeah. I want to know when it happened yesterday. <laughs> well, it, it was when FUBU was doing, uh, FUBU was all over the place and it was doing well as far as everybody was concerned. But we went from 400 million down to 200 million down to 100 million. It was when wait, I, wait, When was that? Like what happened? That was 2004. Okay. It was when we acquired, we licensed out Ted Baker and we brought Ted Baker to the United States and we failed and they wanted to go into retail. So we had to, they wanted to bring retail, you know, build retail shops. So we had to give it back. Then all of a sudden I go and I get Kappa, you know, the brand from uh, Europe. And we thought soccer was going to be big here. It didn't. So I failed at that. Then I went and acquired a company called Heatherette and I spent $6 million and failed at that. So then I was sitting there going, I did get struck by lightning one time. I'm useless. I can't do this again. I am a fraud. FUBU is just luck. I, I thought I was Mr. Business Savvy Guy and it didn't happen. All of a sudden we acquire another brand named Kuji and it starts to take off. Right. Um, you know, so so that started working. It gave me back the confidence. But there's been many, many times, or or even like I said to you, why 
wasn't FUBU Nike. We were supposed to be so great, right? So why yeah, were we Nike? Do you compare despair? Like, do you look at Phil Knight and say, what did he have that I didn't what, have? What, what I don't, you know what? You know, FUBU did $6 billion over his career. Nike does $18 billion a year, right? So everybody thinks that it did so great. But wait a minute, Tommy Hilfiger came back. Why didn't we? Ralph Lauren never went away. Why didn't we? Or well, you know why wouldn't we? Why didn't we have the same uh, ability to be as consistent as those? We had twenty-seven stores. It never got to a hundred. Never got to a uh, thousand. So what do you think? I mean, and actually, it's funny because you didn't bring up this stuff last time. Nor is this in the yeah. power of broke. Like I feel like this is on your mind right now. It, well, you're asking me the question, and, and you know, to be a business person, you have to be really, really honest with yourself. And we have the question: What did I not? that uh, I could have done. Now, granted, 99% of the brands uh, in, the, in the fashion space come out there, they don't have that longevity. When I talk about Ralph Lauren, Louis Vuitton, and all those, I'm talking about the unicorns. You know, when I first got into this business, I think... I think Levi's was doing $14 billion. They do $4 billion now. They could be asking themselves the same question that I'm asking myself. But it doesn't matter about right. what went bad. All I care about is who did great, and those were examples that I could have done. So, of course, I kick myself in the ass all the time about it. But, but you know what? It, it, it's not a failure. It is a, it is a notation. Uh, and, and that's it. And you just have to move on with it. And you have to question yourself in every single business. You go and say, what can I learn from whatever I lost in the last one? But I, I think though this um, this feeling of what do they have that I don't is not only hitting you, but it's, it's all across the US. People sitting in their cubicles uh, wondering, well, why did Steve Jobs do this? Or why did Damon John do this? Like, and I'm here, you know, sketching out my ideas, but not able to sort of take it off the ground. Like, how do you overcome that that feeling that, that oh, lightning struck for these other people, but it, and it maybe struck for me once, but it won't again. Yeah, you know, I, I don't, you know, I do that by, by, you know, goal setting is something that I do to, again, Keep my eye on the prize. Keep my eye on what I need to do next. I, again, I notate the successes of others. I notate the failure of others. Like you, you take down actual notes. Like you'll look at like Richard Branson and, sure. and study I will, his I, example. I will study Richard Branson. I will study Steve Jobs, but I will also study some of the brands that failed uh, that did not do as well because they weren't able to turn the corner. And I will look at them and I will notate them as I move along, there are so many different ways and reasons why you succeed or fail. But, you know, if you're in a cubicle today and you're looking at Damon John, understand that Damon John is looking at Richard Branson and Richard Branson is looking at Bill Gates. You know, if Mark Cuban, uh, you know, if 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 uh, Bill Gates woke up today with Mark Cuban's money, he would cut his wrist and jump out the window. You know what I mean? So there's always somebody else to look at as inspiration. But no matter what, you just have to learn from it and keep moving forward. You know what I mean? And you can't try to be like somebody else. You can't be a me too. You know what I mean? You have to be just focused on what you're doing and just stay the course. I think there's that awareness that, okay, I'm slipping into that that feeling again. Now I've got to, I've got to reverse it into learning mode instead yeah. of desperation mode or, or envy mode. If it's going to be desperation mode, it has to be desperation mode of there's got to be a better way. Why wasn't this done? And if 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 nobody else is going to do it, then I'm going to do it. That's the only desperation mode there should be. It shouldn't be desperation mode like I need to be like you. It needs to be desperation mode of 
nobody else is doing this thing, then I'm going to do it. Well, well, it seems like again, you know, so you took your 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 business expertise, your marketing expertise, your branding expertise, your distribution expertise. Now you're taking your physical resources, like you're yeah. setting up these office spaces that are going to be yeah. co-working spaces. It's Blueprint Plus Co. Yeah. And now you're able to pr directly provide space for entrepreneurs plus your community building expertise, I imagine. But are you going up against like, like WeWork, which is going to be your main competitor? They just raised like $200 million. Like, yeah. how do you expect to compete? So so here's what I think about it. Again, I, I'm not, I don't look at those other brands in regards to how can I be like them. Um, and I think that WeWork has done a phenomenal job. I think that they are the pioneers of the industry. I mean, you know, Regents was doing this for many, many years, right? But when I looked at this space and building Blueprint & Co., it was um, me saying, I'm going to do the for us bias of entrepreneurship. So I'll give you an example. If I come back from Shark Tank, a season of Shark Tank, and I have 15 brands there, no matter who I am and I have the resources, I have 15 different brands. I have every everything from meat companies to tissues to baby apparel and whatever the case is. And I may need a different type of designer. I may need a different type of consumer packaging company. I may need a different type of distribution or some technical aspect of somebody who knows how to create uh, um, memberships and uh, you know stuff like that. So I want people in the space who are purely like me. Um, also, corporations, if a corporation right now doesn't have their innovation and or some type of spaces like this where they are putting people at, they're going to lose. They can't keep doing things the same exact way. So these are the type of individuals I'm bringing in that we're vetting them. So you have to be doing at least $250,000 in uh, revenue annually or backed by a VC or angel uh, type of company. Or you have to be a, you know, a Fortune 1000 or whatever type of company doing real business to be in the space. This is not for, we work, it does a great job, but a lot of those are startups. This is not for somebody who doesn't know what a trademark is and know what a patent is. I see. So this is almost like kind of a, a high-end we work in a weird this way. This is for us bias, you know, because mm -hmm. I'll give you an example. I'm a member of, uh, you know, a, a Soho House. Okay. Uh, and, and it's a great, it's a great community out here. And, and a lot of people operate out of Soho House, but I can't send my employees to Soho House because I can't have four desks over at Soho House because then people will be drinking all day and partying. And by the way, you can't use your phone over there and other people there for social reasons. And they're relaxing. They don't want to be bothered, right? So I can't send employees there. I also can't send employees to some of the lower uh, type of uh, co-share space where somebody's sitting there eating a tuna fish sandwich with a dog and their socks are off. I can't. They can't have a meeting with other like-minded executives in that type of space. So this is a very, very specific type of space uh, for other executives like myself who are forward thinking and they want two or three or 10 staff members there who they want them to understand what's going on and how other people are moving forward in business. So, so related to business, but not quite because relationships and business are all intertwined and it's yes. very difficult. Like once you, once you're, you, you, you've been so passionate about FUBU, both it's ups and it's downs. It's obviously, obviously affected for better or for worse, your first major relationship. You recently got engaged, engaged again. Yep. Congratulations. Thank you. What do you look, given that you're going to have this passion for the rest of your life about business and work, and you're going to constantly be, you know, doing the things you do. Uh, what do you look for in a relationship? Give me relationship advice. <laughs> yeah, I wish I could. Um, you know, 
I think I think you said it accurately. Like business is a relationship. So you know, the partner that I have is somebody who understands fully me and is very very clear on who I am, and I'm very clear on, on what who they are, and we understand our. I hate to say it in a bad way or another, but our deliverables. You know, and our deliverables can be, mean certain things. You know, uh, no stress or taking the weight off each other's back in this in that way. And things will change over 5, 10, 15, 20 years because people change and their objectives change or their desires change. Um, but it's somebody that I could talk to that's, that's very, very clear with me. And and um, this person's been in my life for the last 10 years, so I didn't just rush into it, just like any business that I... Besides Shark Tank. Okay, 10 years and you, and you have a child with her. We just, we and just then had finally you got engaged. What finally. made you go over the, over the edge there? <laughs> you know... Um, I find that in my relationships, it's always been in the, in the past, it's always been the person you least likely expect to be the one. It ends up being the one, I think, because a lot of time in my relationships, I was like, wow, this girl's amazing. Oh, this girl's going to be the greatest girl ever. And you have such a high, uh, you set the bar and the standards so high because of the first time you met him or the second time or whatever the case is. And then I think it goes down after that. And then I think... And, and, you know, in reality is the ones who come in your life who you're like, you know what, every time I was sad or, every or when I wanted to share a, share a special moment, I kept calling this person. They became a friend before anything else. And you realize that you have a true bond with this person no matter what. And I think that, that that's how, you know, it grew from there. And then you realize that you can't live without this person and you want the best thing ever for this person because it started mm. off with, she's cool she's great and then all of a sudden holy crap you know like i really care for this person so I, you know it, it, it's the same thing in uh it's same thing in a business you know i closed food down three times from 89 to 92 because i was like yeah i'm selling hats ran out of a couple of dollars and i'm like yeah whatever and then i was like these people were like wow remember that hat you sold me last year can i get another one can i get another one can i get another one? And you're like yeah i can make another one and then again, I closed it down and then I saw people again and they were like, what's wrong with you? I need more. And then you're like, yeah, I, I could do that. I could do that. And then you're like, wait a minute, I can do this. Like, and I think it's the same in a relationship. Like you, 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 you go into it after a while and you just didn't expect it. Before you know it, you have something. I think it's important to kind of, again, with business or relationships, now we're, we're going to totally mix the two, but uh, to sense that excitement, to try things, but then when you sense that excitement, it's like, I'm sure it's like what Mark Zuckerberg thought once people started signing up by the millions for Facebook. Yeah. Like, it's like, wow, something is happening outside of me that's beyond my control. And you yeah. just have to feed it. Yeah, you, you know, you can't starve it. Yeah, the, yeah. There is this, there is this realistic standpoint. If you're very humble with yourself and you don't, you, you, you don't think, you don't take yourself too seriously. After a while, you start to realize other people are gravitating towards you you start to go wait a minute there's something here other people talk no i i didn't just hear this once i heard this 10 times wait a thousand people signed up wait a minute uh, however many people listen to my podcast or watch my video or 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 requesting my product or requesting information about it why is so wait a minute there is some there are more people like me than i know and you start to really dig into it you know Gosh, I feel like I want to make clothes now. Like, don't make clothes. <laughs> you think that business is over? Like, you think no, it's too no, hard? No, to... no, not a, no, not at all. Not at all. There's, you know, there's nothing you're going to create new in this world again. It's just going to be a new way to get it to people, and there are going to be brands that are going to come out and dominate. Of course, 
Absolutely. So what would be like, again, someone sitting in their cubicle, they don't even know how to begin. What would be the first steps? It, it seems like the first step is what were you passionate about when you were a little kid? First of all, yeah. The first step is not how to begin because it's like, well, how can I make some money? Well, then work more or go, go get a further education or do something else. It's not It's not that. It's how do I begin? You know what? I What do you see yourself doing and what, you know, or what do you see yourself missing out there? What do you see this missing out there that you're like, man, this needs to be created. Well, why don't you create it? Um, what are you super passionate about? And a lot of people feel, though, then an excuse like, well, okay, you need money for that or I don't have don't the connections for that. You know, and that's the whole theory of the power broke. You don't need money for, you know, okay, yeah. You want to be a doctor, you probably should go to school if you're going to do a heart surgery on somebody, right? But other than that, you know, um, tell me, think of something they somebody needs to do that they say they need money for. What do you think? Well, you know, a great story is Richard Branson starting Virgin Air. He just put up a sign. He he got a deal to get a uh, a plane from one island to another. Yep. He couldn't pay for it. Uh -huh. So he put up a sign, who wants to buy a ticket exactly. for this plane? He sold tickets before he had them. <laughs> exactly. So, and and that's an airline, yeah. right? Think about now, that. Now it's this whole multi-billion dollar airline. Exactly. <laughs> and, and Mark Zuckerberg started off with one friend, yeah. right? And he, and he got a couple of, you know, he got a billion of them now, right? Um, I, I'm just trying to think of this, something that you need money for, unless it's a career or a, a skill. And even that, you can, you know, you can, you can start going to school for. I just have to. I would have to think about something you need money for. Even like, let's take Blueprint Plus Co. Yeah. You just really needed some extra space in your. Co I needed extra space in there, and 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 I and and yeah. Do I have money? Absolutely, I have money. But did I throw money at this? No, not at all. I um, I had some space in there, and I, I needed space. And then a lot of my friends, I called a lot of my friends like Lisa Mattress or Burst Visuals or Veridesk, and I said, guys, I'm creating something like, uh, you know, uh, 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 just just a, a, a place where all like-minded people like myself can go, and we can use best practices and talk to each other about this. And instead of me having ten thousand meetings, just everybody's in the same place. We're walking by each other, going, "Hey, you need to distribute over there." Wait a minute, let's go over to this desk over there, and and I people just started coming. That's great. Well, one last question, which is, do you break dance every day still? Because I'll tell you what, I do it for exercise. You do? Yeah, I do not. No, no, no. I do it once in a blue moon. I usually do it when um, I'm out with my daughters and their friends are there so that I can embarrass them. <laughs> I usually throw my back out doing it. But um, but no, but I but I, I, I do that then. And um, no, and that's it. All right. Well, I'll tell you, it's good for exercise. It's good for it, staying in shape. It, I don't it, like the gym. It, it is. And that's why I'm not in shape. <laughs> But um, but uh, yeah. So thank you for thank you for the interview. Thank you. Yeah, for, thank you for coming for bringing, out again. Thank you for asking me questions that other people haven't asked me. Thank God. Don't you know what? I'm glad you didn't ask me. What's the best investment you had on Shark Tank? What's the pitch you remember? Thank you. I really appreciate. Well, that. Well, you know, I think it's really important. Like you probably get tired of answering the same questions, so I, I listen to the other interviews <laughs> and make sure I'm not going to answer ask the same questions. Well, thank you, thank you. And then everybody who you know, other our like minded friends out there uh you know um uh come check out uh blueprint and co um that what's the is, website that is uh blueprint and co a n d co and um and then uh yeah you know uh, people uh, people uh, some of our friends out in la who need an office in new york or a desk in new york come check us out and then i hope to have you there so i can i'm going to be doing a lot of interviews i'm interviewing 
Gary Vaynerchuk. I'm going to interview the Sharks. I'm going to even do, uh, you know, some of the producers of Shark Tank over at the space. And um, hopefully I can get you over there to ask you some questions. That's excellent. Well, I'm going to rent space there. <laughs> well, you're more than welcome, brother. Thanks, David. Thank you. For more from James, check out the James Altucher Show on the Choose Yourself Network at jamesaltucher.com and get yourself on the free insiders list today. Hey, thanks for listening. Listen, I have a big favor to ask you, and it will only take 30 seconds or less, and it would mean a huge amount to me. If you like this podcast, please let me know. Please let the team I work with know. Please let my guests know, and you can do this easily by subscribing to the podcast. Probably the biggest favor you could do for me right now, and it's really simple. Just go to iTunes, search for The James Altucher Show, and click subscribe. Again, it will only take you 30 seconds or less, and if you subscribe now, it will really help me out a lot. Thanks again.